open your Bible to the last book of the Bible and take a look at Revelation chapter 12. The Bible ends like it began with a pregnant woman, a male child, and a serpent seeking to destroy. Let's join Dave Woodson as we bring to a close his story, discovering God's message of glory and grace. As we come to the end of history, I want to ask you, how many of you are really into horror flicks? Come on, we're just our normal selves. You can be honest. How many of you really like scary kind of movies? Anybody? Come on, be honest. How many of you like at night to turn off all the lights? You like watching really scary movies. Anybody like those? You're, you're all too ashamed to admit that, okay? Well, maybe you're like me. To be honest with you, when I was a kid, not so much of a kid, but like a teenager, I, I can really tell really bad ghost stories. In fact, in the early days of our church, I remember we would take all the teenagers out to a cemetery. We would tell them scary ghost stories. I remember out at Kim Lewis's farm one night, we did that. And that was back in the more innocent days. You can't do some of that today. Lest you feel too badly, like I do have some close friends. They watch, they love like the classic Frankenstein where you got a really bad monster, you got a mad scientist, and he's going to destroy the world. And some of those old-time Dracula, where you have this really bad character, and he's fighting against the forces of goodness, and the forces of goodness win in the end. Some of my friends just love being scared literally out of you-know-what. Well, lest you judge them too harshly, in Revelation chapter 12, if you turn there... God, at the heart of the last book of the Bible, has a horror movie, you might say. Only you have to let the movie take place in your mind. And if some of you really like, you know, not just, you know, normal horror films that are like characters that, you know, are kind of like real-life characters, some of you are into real symbolic stuff. You like it almost to be like, you know, some kind of a weird imagery and stuff. Well, don't be too harsh on that as well, because evidently God really likes that. Let me read to you, right at the heart, Revelation 12 is right at the core of the book of Revelation. In fact, it's right before the Lord introduces the final Antichrist, the henchman of the evil one, Satan, and right before he plunges you into chapter 13 that introduces to you this beast out of the sea, and he really develops the final conflict between Satan and his forces, and then it culminates in Revelation 19 with Jesus coming down as a great conquering general on a white horse, and you close the book of Revelation with a thousand-year reign of Christ, and then the great white throne judgment and a new heaven and a new earth. That's a summary of what takes place in the book of Revelation after that. Before you plunge into like an accelerating crescendo that moves right to the end of the Bible, you have this weird chapter. And let me read to you. You'll see why it's weird. Revelation 12, a great and wondrous sign appeared in the heaven. If you're like my wife, Mary, if you're like my son, Josh, they're artists. A lot of you know me well, like I read all the way through Time Magazine, and I don't even know there's pictures in it. I read all the print, and so you'll get to know me. Now, I like art, and Mary's, because I love Mary, and I think I really get into her art, 
But I have to discipline myself. And I love going like to the Louvre, for example, where Jonathan is now in Paris and seeing all the great art. One of the reasons I'm in developing that, and for those of you that are visual, and a lot of you in this audience really are visual, a lot of younger people now learn visually. And we shouldn't fight that because a great wondrous sign appeared in the heaven. So if you like visual things, God is painting a picture in words where it's like you don't have just one of these wide screens. You've got a screen that's as big as the heavens. So think of going to the movies, maybe an outdoor theater, and God is using the whole heavens, even bigger than the sky, to present his horror flick. That's the picture here. Now look, it says there appeared in the heaven a wondrous sign. The word sign is really important because in the first chapter of Revelation, John said, I'm going to signify. In other words, I'm going to present you in pictures the way the world's going to come. God didn't say, I'm going to present you a newsreel. He said, I'm going to draw, and I like to call them holy cartoons. And remember, when I taught you the book of Revelation many years ago, I said, if you'll think of political cartoons... For example, the GOP is represented as a, what's the cartoon of the, the uh, Republican Party? What is it? An elephant. Now, is there really a literal elephant? And some of you that are Democrats will say, yes, there is. They are an elephant, okay? But there isn't a literal elephant. When President Clinton in his second uh, presidential race moved towards the more conservative, middle, conservative position. I saw a cartoon. They had a bunch of elephants lined up on the shore of a river. They had another elephant out into a river with what's the symbol of the Democratic Party? A donkey. They had a donkey out there being baptized by an elephant. And the captain says, I really don't think this is a true conversion. Now, does that communicate a lot to you? How many of you have a picture in your mind? Did I just, you got a good picture? Will you be able to tell some friend tomorrow at work what I just told you? You might not remember anything else I preached this morning, but everyone will remember that, okay? God does that with great spiritual, dramatic, historical things that he's doing. And that's what's going to happen in this chapter. But you need to think, he's not presenting like it's not just a videotape. How Lindsay feels that the book of Revelation was like a newsreel. That's not the form of the book of Revelation. The form is like political cartooning. So we need to see what's the picture. You see if you can let the picture develop in your mind. He says, first of all, I saw the sign in heaven of a woman. She was clothed with the sun. Boy, so you have a woman... She's clothed with radiating light like the sun. There's the moon under her feet. Powerful imagery. And a crown of 12 stars is on her head. And to paint the picture a little bit stronger, we have this great, you would think of her like a queen with a crown of 12 stars on her head. We think of her being a great cosmic figure because she's radiating like sunlight and the moon is under her feet. 
but she's pregnant. So all of you ladies, you think of in the jaws of the labor pains have begun. There's a pulsation towards producing, getting all those muscles to get that baby to come into the world. This is very dramatic. It's like a horror film. So that's the first picture. It says, and she was about to give birth. So I didn't make up all the stuff of this great cosmic woman that's pregnant that's pulsating to give birth. That's the picture. Everybody got it? Now, how many of you mothers remember well when you were going to give birth, especially your first child, when you were scared out of your willies? How many of you mothers have forgotten that? Okay? Now, who was there in the room? I wasn't there for my first two kids born. But I was there for Josh and Janetti. But to be really honest with you, Mary loves me. But when she was really pushing to give birth to Josh, Mary could care less whether I was in the room. Who did she want to be right there, ready to grab that baby? Now, some of you might really be in a natural birth, and that's fine, and you really want your husband to do that. But to be real, I'm just being honest with you today. Mary wanted a great, skilled, trained specialist in obstetrics. And that's the one that she wanted to be sitting there ready. And so one of our, you know, one of the guys that I really got to know, and he was there, and he actually did let me hold the baby pretty soon, but he was there. Now, look at the picture, and this is why it's a horror film. How many of you ladies would like this? Then another sign appeared in the heaven, and an enormous red dragon... All the kids should be able to see that. What kind of dragon was it? It's red, and it has seven heads. It has ten horns, and there's seven crowns on the seven heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them down to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Now, that's what makes it a horror flick. Can you imagine? You got the delivery room. The woman's about ready to give birth. And instead of a marvelous physician or a skilled midwife being there, you got a dragon that's breathing fire. And he's going to snuff out the life of the child. What's going to happen? It says, and she did give birth to a son, a male child. So we have three main characters. This woman, a pregnant woman, a dragon, and a male child. The male child, and how do we know who he is? He's going to rule all the nations with iron, with an iron scepter. And his child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days, about three and a half years. And there was a war in the heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in the heaven. The serpent did. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now you say, well, hey, what do I do with the passage? Okay, I've got a really vivid picture. I've got a horror film. I've got three major characters. Who are they? Well, let's start out with a woman. A lot of my Roman Catholic friends from that tradition will say, well, obviously, that's the Virgin Mary, and she's the Queen of Heaven. Well, maybe that's so, but where in the Bible is Mary ever presented 
where this imagery is, where you have this imagery of the sun and the moon and the stars. So what I want you to learn to do is I want you to learn to go back into your Bibles. And if you're a good Jewish Old Testament saint, if you go back into your Bible to Genesis chapter 37, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Joseph had a dream in Genesis chapter 37. And in his dream, I want you to see what he saw in Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 10. Joseph is talking to his brothers in Genesis 37. He talks about this dream, and this is what he said. Then another dream. Then Joseph had another dream, and he told his brothers, Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun, this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So what combination do you have? The sun, the moon, and the stars. Who does the sun and the moon and the stars represent? It represents his daddy Jacob. It remembers Joseph's mom, Rebecca. And he has 11 brothers, and they're going to all bow down to him. And so in the, in the earliest part, with the very first time in the Bible, when I'm introduced to a figure of a sun and moon and stars, it relates to the nation Israel. Now, for you as Midlothian Bible Church, you know that, that this idea of a pregnant woman goes back even before that. So who is this pregnant woman? And what I want you to see, how you put the Bible together, we started out with Genesis 3.15. Notice what it says. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman between your offspring and hers. So we've got pregnancy. We have giving birth. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Right at the beginning of, this, of the Bible and now at the end of the Bible, the whole story begins with the story of a pregnant woman giving birth to a great male child, a serpent that wants to destroy the child. At the, at the core of the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, in this great cosmic drama, we've got the same story taking place. So you say, well, Dave, who is this pregnant woman? The pregnant woman is Eve trying to give birth to the great Messiah. That begins, as we studied his story, and all the way through this, for a year now, we've been going through every book of the Bible, and I show you how the mother Eve gave birth to Cain, who became a murderer, and he murdered Abel. Then she gave birth through Adam to Seth, and he founded a line, which means Seth means the appointed, the ones that set in place. And Seth gives birth to a godly line, and that leads to Noah. And then all the world is destroyed except one family, Noah's family, and God preserved the promised seed. The demon seed almost snuffed out all the godly seed. But God brings great judgment, preserves the godly seed, and then we move right to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. The world is rebelling against God again. They're scattered all over the world. It looks like the serpent's going to win. And in Genesis 12, it says, And God went to Ur the Chaldees, and he called Abraham. And that begins the whole story of the Jewish race. And that leads to Genesis 39, because Joseph is one of Abraham's descendants. He is the son of Jacob. And the Lord is telling him in this dream how he's going to preserve the promised people. That's why the Jewish people are so important. 
So who is this great woman that's going to give birth to the child? It's a great, powerful symbol of the way God has this mother a mother that starts out as Eve, and then it becomes Noah's wife and the producing of those children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And through the line of Shem, you have the godly line. Then it becomes Abraham and Sarah in the heartbeat of Genesis. And then you move ultimately to the birth of David and all of those stories. And that's how you put the Bible together. So the woman doesn't represent just the Virgin Mary, but she represents Mary's the last precious woman that God preserved to bring his great male deliverer into the world. And that's the way all the story of the Bible holds together until we have the birth of Jesus. And the dragon's trying to snuff him out. It's trying to destroy him. So it's very easy. We can identify who is this woman. It represents the great mother that's going to produce the deliverer. Same story we started out with. Who's the serpent? Well, Revelation told you who the serpent was. Notice the great dragon that was hurled down. Look at verse 9. The great dragon that was hurled down is the ancient serpent called the devil or the adversary, Satan, who leads the whole world astray, which is what we learned in our last time together when I said that Satan is ruling this present world. Who's the male child? Who's the male child that's going to rule the world? Well, who would you tell me? Tell me, who is the male child that's going to rule the world? His name is Jesus. Do you really believe that? According to this story, was the serpent able to destroy the child? Now, here's what I want you to see, the way the whole Bible holds together. And when you read your Bible from now on, I want you to be looking for it. I want you to be looking for the woman that's trying to give birth for a child. Like when you read the book of Ruth, I want you to understand, what is Ruth about? Ruth is part of the women that's going to produce this godly child. And there's great danger to her. She could be snuffed out. But eventually, Boaz unites with her, and she produces the descendant of King David that produces the great messianic figure king of the Old Testament. That's the way this story goes together. What does it have to do with you? You say, well, David, this is just a bunch of Bible prophecy, and you know, this is an ancient book. What does that have to do with me? has a lot to do with you. How do you think the world's going to end? If you're a young person today going to university, you're going to be taught very seriously that our world is in great danger. Say, Dave, how do I know that? Did you know that this week, the most elite physicist in the world, one of my physics teachers, no evangelistically speaking, the man that taught me beginning physics worked in the Manhattan Project in Chicago. And I've told this to you before. Remember, he was my buddy that knitted So guys, don't ever mock someone that knits. He sat in meetings with Fermi, the great physicist, working the Manhattan Project, and he was the metallurgist that made sure you had the right metals in this nuclear reaction underneath Soldier's Field so that all of Chicago didn't blow up and the Chicago Bears could play moving towards the Super Bowl because if my buddy would have blown his job, Chicago would be no more. That's literally true. You pain did that. The scientists that worked in that project, when they saw the great devastation of the bomb, they founded a a group. And every year that group evaluates, and this last week they evaluated again, they have what they call the doomsday clock. Anybody ever heard of that? And they moved it two minutes closer to doomsday. Stephen Hawking, the great Cambridge physicist, he was part of that committee. 
because of Iran seeking nuclear power and nuclear bombs, and because of Korea, the scientists all concluded we are that much closer. And Stephen Hawking said this, in light of global warming and in light of the nuclear threat, we are two minutes closer. You know what Stephen Hawking said? He said what's really important, what you need to give your dollars to, what you young people need to give your life to, is we need to develop rocket ships. And we need to be really sure. We need to start thinking about colonizing a part of the moon. We need to start thinking about getting a place on Mars. Because when we blow this place up, some of you need to get off. And you need to go and so that we'll be protected so that we can keep the human race going. I'm serious. Your tax dollars are going to go for that. So you better get involved. You better understand I'm not just blowing smoke at you about how you feel about the future. Stephen Hawking, to me, would be one of the most brilliant scientists that I know. That's his answer. And he tells you, don't believe in this this book is a bunch of baloney, that if you really want to find what's real, you trust in human observation, and this book doesn't know what it talks about. And you say, well, Dave, we come together, what we do on Sunday morning is not really significant, and I go to the university, and that's where I really find what's happening. Well, I got news for you. What I just read to you and what his story is all about is going to tell you, you know what? This planet isn't going to get too hot. Now, as God's children, this planet belongs to your heavenly daddy. It's his place. So, I mean, Lothian Bible Church better really be involved in taking care of our daddy's creation. Amen? Like, I don't want anybody from Midlothian Bible Church to say, well, I can throw trash all over the place because my heavenly dad's going to burn it up anyway, so let him burn the trash that I threw out. If I hear you saying that, I'm going to strangle you. No, not really. That's not loving, is it? (laughs) That's not what the Scripture is saying. We started out with our Father creating this planet and the universe. And we're supposed to be, like, in his his guidance, we're supposed to be his vice regents to take care of it. That's what the Bible really teaches. But you know what? I'm not going to commit my whole life to trying to make sure that we don't get this planet too hot because we're going to burn ourselves up. Like, I'm not going to just believe that suddenly, because to be honest with you, when I went through college, it was going to be too cold. And that gets really disillusioning. If I would have come in myself that it's too cold, and now in my 50s, I've been working really hard to get things warmed up, and now it's going to be too hot. That's really disillusioning. But you know what? When I was in college, I believed that this great male child, that it says here, it says he will be a male child who will rule the nations. And he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And I decided when I was in college, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be committed to that male child. And his name is Jesus. And I'm going to trust him. And so I want you to know this is very real stuff. How's the world going in? The Bible says that it is going to get burned up. And it is going to get too hot. But it's not going to be because some idiot in North Korea suddenly pushes the wrong buttons. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be skillful and you're in the State Department. If you're in the military, you need to work hard because we need to occupy till it comes. But not out of fear. Not out of fear that everything's up for grabs. We never know what's going to happen. Because my Heavenly Daddy is going to have the elements melt with a fervent heat and they're going to create a new heaven and new earth. 
And those that believe in the promise of Jesus are going to be okay. They're going to make it through it all. You believe that? You believe that? Do you believe that? That's really important. That means you can have babies. You can marry your daughters to a precious young man. And your life is filled with joy. It's very realistic, but it's not afraid. You say, Dave, what's the faithful testimony that you know that that's true? Because the story of the Bible is a story of a dragon trying to snuff out the pregnant woman. Let's just trace that story a little bit. Just to remind you, we've done this, but just to remind you, there's a murderous plot all the way through the Bible. And Revelation 12 is presenting to you this great cosmic drama where we're looking at this in pictures and the dragon is sitting at the womb of the mother that's pregnant, it's going to give birth to the child. And what Revelation through the Apostle John and the inspiration of the Spirit through him is telling you is this is the plot line. This is what you need to be looking for. So in the story of Joseph and his brothers, what's going on? The dragon wants to snuff out the male child. The male child is going to be born from what group of people? You already know by Genesis 37, 39, who's the, who's the family that's going to produce the great male child? Jacob and his 12 sons, right? Specifically one son, and his name is Judah. You should know that. It's real important. It's one of the keys of history. There's a famine in the land. Who brought the famine? The serpent did. The serpent at the womb of the mother. We're going to snuff out the male child. If I can kill all, if I can kill off Judah, I've got him. And Judah's a very evil man. He sells his brother into slavery. He's sleeping around with horrors in the stories of Genesis. And God, through Judah, produces a son. And that son, though, is danger. He could be killed. Because of a great famine in the land. The serpent's trying to devour the child. God takes the kidnapped brother, takes him to Egypt, raises him right through the throne rooms, eventually of, of, from the prison to the throne. And Joseph is in right the right place at just the right time so that there's food in Egypt so that the promised people, especially Judah, can be preserved. That's what Revelation 12 is telling you. The dragon's getting ready, and he can't snuff out the pregnant woman, and he can't snuff out her child. Judah does give birth to a son, and the promised line continues. The story goes on. Some other key points of that story. You look at Pharaoh's murder of the infants. Remember the first chapter of Exodus? Joseph has all of his brothers come down with their families. Israel explodes. The promised people explode. In Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh says, let's kill them. That's how the book of Exodus starts out. We're going to throw all the bait. We're going to, first of all, tell all the midwives that, get, that help the Israelites to give birth to the child, we're going to ask them to kill all those baby boys as soon as they're born. Why is that going on? Because the dragon's trying to snuff out the male child. The midwives listen to God. They won't listen to Pharaoh, and so they protect the male children of Israel. Then all the children in the room know the Sunday school story, that they were throwing all the baby boy Israelites into the Nile River. It's supposed to be the place of life. It becomes a place of death because the serpent's trying to snuck out, snuff out the male child. And then we have baby Moses protected. And God protects him in the river, and then he puts him right in Pharaoh's house, right in the serpent king. And he raised them in his house, made Satan pay the bill for his great deliverer. What does Moses do? 
Moses preserves the promised line, especially Judah. And he delivers to the power of God Judah's family and his line of descendants out of Egypt. And Satan wasn't able to snuff out all the Judah women. Couldn't do it. The serpent doesn't win. The story gets really tidy. Look at 2 Kings chapter 11. I want you to turn over here because this is when the story probably gets the tightest. When it's the most danger, with a horror story, if I was watching this in a horror film, this is when I would have to close my eyes because it's really, really tough. When Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But, do you realize if, if I would have just thought, said, Ataliah proceeded to destroy the whole royal family, and we closed the Bible, what would happen with history? If you think you're not important, and you think you're obedient to the Lord is important, if you think it's important what you do, and how you trust in God's promises and believe in what he's doing, if there wasn't another verse, if that was true, then everything I've taught you my whole life is wrong. And most of you don't even know who the next person is. Most of you, if you met in heaven and you met someone named Yehosheva, how many of you in heaven, Yehosheva walks up to you and says, Hello, my name is Dave Wurtzen. And a lady says to you, I'm Yehosheva. And most of you would go, Oh, that's good. Good to meet you. Next. Well, not anymore. If you meet Yehosheva in heaven, I want you to hug her. I want you to say, praise God, what a dynamic woman. Why? Because Yehosheva, the daughter of King Jehoram, the sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the last surviving promised Davidic king, took baby Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Ataliah so he was not killed, and he remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Ataliah ruled the land. At just the right time, they brought baby Joash out as a young six-year-old, and he became the king. And the dragon couldn't kill the promised child. We could go on. What about the stories of Esther? What does Haman want to do? The children of Israel have gone into captivity. They've been dispersed, especially into Babylon and Persia. And the Persians are now ruling the world. And Haman wants to get Ahasuerus, the great Persian king, to wipe out all the Jewish people. He thinks it's a perfect plan, kind of the first major holocaust that's organized from a kingdom. And Haman has the perfect plan. God takes another precious girl. So ladies, don't ever think you're insignificant in the plan of God. God takes a beautiful young Jewess named Esther, has her babe just like all the girls. It was fun yesterday to watch all of Janae's bridesmaids. Man, they worked all day long. I took off and had to go get Leela with Jonathan. But when I come back, man, my house looks like a beauty parlor. And it reminded me of the book of Esther. They put Janae in. She looked gorgeous, didn't she? Well, that's the way Esther was like. They bathed her in Chanel number 46, the per- or Persian nights. God was in all that. Your heavenly father is not divorced from a lot of things you think he is. And Esther is brought to the throne at just the right moment, just the right time. And baby Jesus can eventually be born of a Jewish people that wasn't killed by Haman. The final onslaught 
in the great Christmas story that you've heard me teach through the years many times, the great nativity. Those of you that saw this year the nativity story, they built the whole plot line. They built what would hold your attention. They started you right out with wicked Herod, the royal pagan king ruling in Jerusalem, paranoid, scared, the dragon trying to destroy the male child. Where did they get that from? Right here. Revelation chapter 12. And Herod killed all the babies in Bethlehem. But the angel of the Lord came and said, Joseph, get up. Get moving. And God reached down and protected his child. On Calvary, eventually, we go all the way through. God protects his son at Nazareth when the, his hometown wants to kill him. God protects him from the plot to the Jews. And then you come to the culmination of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In all the Bible, the whole story of the Bible has been God's got to preserve the child. God does preserve the child. The serpent can't do it. The dragon can't do it. This fire-breathing dragon can't destroy this great male child. And on Calvary in the garden of, of Gethsemane, Jesus cries out, Lord, there's another way. And in the Passion, as they showed you Jesus, as they started out the Passion, they showed you Jesus agonizing in the garden, and they had a serpent that wove at his feet. And all of you that knew this story well, that just caught your attention. Where did they get that from? That's the story of the Bible. The great twist in the story, and it's incredible writing, and it's being written in real, honest-to-goodness history. There's no doubt that Jesus was crucified on Calvary. Josephus is crystal clear about Jesus dying. Tacitus is crystal clear. Those are secular Jewish historians first, and then I gave you a Roman historian. And on the cross of Calvary, in history, Jesus died. And that's why the disciples were so crushed, and it's why everything became dark, because in the horror film, contrary to all the basic scenario, and I want all of you to listen to me, all of you young people especially listen to me, when you watch Pulp Fiction... There's no good guys and there's no bad guys. When you watch Seinfeld, which is for you that are a little bit older, the younger guys, I just lost them completely. But for those of you that are a little bit older, Seinfeld's your thing. In Seinfeld, there's no good guys and there's no bad guys. It's all neutral. And we laugh at it. I'm not saying it's not great writing. I'm not saying I don't laugh my head off, but I want you to think. It's not a great drama. When you watch Grey's Anatomy, now I've got all the present college kids. There are no good guys and no bad guys. There's no, there's, even medically what they do isn't right or wrong. It's just blah. And all you do is watch the interaction of people. But I want you to notice something that deep in your soul, that doesn't grab you very much. Because every one of you are built for good guys, a pregnant woman, and every one of you in your heart know a mother trying to give birth to a child, that's a good person. That's the good part of this story. And every one of you know that a red dragon with seven royal diadems on him breathing out, trying to destroy this child. Someone that wants to murder a precious newborn child, every one of you know that's a bad story. That's the bad part of the story. And when Jesus dies and cries out on Calvary and he, he's gone, 
every one of you know that in the flow of this story, that's the darkest moment in all of history. And I want every one of you to know that that's where all of history hangs in the balance. If Jesus would have stayed dead, then I would have never had a joyous moment. Like Mary and I, a lot of you have been asking, how did you hold up? And I, last, Yes, last night was one of the funnest times that, that Mary and I have ever had together. And that's because of Jesus. But if Jesus would have stayed dead, then I could never say, Janae, I remember in your bedroom before I put you to bed with your brother Josh that you were moved by God's Holy Spirit and you wanted to receive Jesus into your heart. I could have never said, I do remember when you were just about 12 just before you're moving into adolescence, and you were asking me over and over again, is all this stuff about Jesus really true? How do I know? I'm already starting to find out there's a lot of other saviors in the world. How do I know? You know, you're my mom and dad. You taught me this stuff since I was a little kid. Janae was asking, I mean, before she would go to bed, she would say, Dad, how do I really know? I'm not really sure this whole thing about Jesus is true. And Janae went to her granddaddy's funeral, and before the funeral, she went to see the body. And we gave her a choice, and at the last minute, she decided, I want to see my grandpa in the coffin. And a little 12-year-old girl, she went over there, and she looked at her grandpa in the coffin in a, in a horror flick, strewn lake, Stephen King kind of place. And instead of being scared to death, she looked at my dad, just the shell, the physical body of my dad, her grandpa. And we walked out of that funeral home and we started walking up the town to go eat. And Janae grabbed my hands and she said, Dad, it's true. I said, Janae, what are you talking about? She said, my grandpa ever since I've known him, have said, I'm just as sure of heaven as if I'm already, as if I've already been there for a thousand years. My grandpa taught me Jesus, his life as an evangelist, and she didn't use all those words, but she said, my grandpa's life was Jesus died for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And it's true, because my grandpa's not there. And I know, not just because you told me, but now I know in my heart through the witness of God's Spirit, and she didn't use all those language, but that's what she was telling me. Now I know inside. And that's why the Bible can close with an incredible invitation. If you turn to the very end of the Bible, the dragon can't, you know, win, and, and the book of Revelation goes on, and we, in that series we explain who, uh, how the dragon is defeated by the Lord Jesus, and he defeats the forces of Antichrist, and how the woman in the book of Revelation becomes God working again with his chosen people Israel. But I want you to see the heartbeat of it all in verse 17, because it is about a wedding. The Bible begins with a wedding, and it ends with a wedding. And it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, 
It's a wedding. The Spirit of God and the bride, which is the bride of Christ, say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take freely of the gift of the water of life. The story of the Bible is this. If anybody ever asked you, what's the story of the Bible? It's a story of a pregnant woman that has a dragon that's trying to kill her child, but he can't do it. All the way through the Old Testament, but eventually the dragon kills the male child. But on the third day, God reaches down and through the power of the Father and the Spirit, his son is raised to new eternal life that lasts forever and ever. He's caught up to heaven and now we're living in this great in-between time where Jesus is present with his spirit on earth. And one day he's going to come back and we'll see him. He's going to come back for us. And that's what the story of the Bible is. It's a great invitation. We're living in the great invitation time. And I want to close the story of history. The story of the Bible is the triune God brings glory to himself. But he does it through a redemptive story of evil people controlled by the serpent that are set free by a crucified, resurrected Savior who one day is going to rule the nations. And that's why we bow before him. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord Jesus, and maybe you're sitting here on this cold day and we finally it looks like the sun's going to come out, and you've never really made Jesus your deliverer, your promised one, you need to do that. That's the message of the Bible. Say, Dave, how do I do that? If you aren't absolutely sure that Jesus is your deliverer, if you haven't really sided with the good God in this story, then just pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I do believe that you're the great promised deliverer. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I have dragon seed inside of me, that there's a really dark, evil, sinful side of me, that I have sinned and come short of your glory. And Lord Jesus, on this Sunday, January 21st, I want to accept the payment that you made for me on the cross of Calvary, where you paid for my sin, where you took my place, where you took the, the curse of sin upon yourself, and on this day, I also want to affirm the fact that I believe with all my heart that Jesus rose again from the dead. Lord Jesus, come in to my life now. Save me now. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer with me, the scripture based upon God's promise. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I sin at the door and knock. If any man, any woman hears my voice and open the door, I will come in. And I'll have fellowship with them. I'll eat with them. I'll be their friend forever and ever. I'll be their Savior. I'll be their Lord. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for the incredible wonder of Revelation 12. I pray, Lord, that the tools that we've learned in his story would just be the clues that open up this incredible, joyous mystery story that you don't mean to be a mystery in the sense that it's a secret, but because of Christ, we can now shout it from the housetops. And I pray, Lord, that from now on out in Midlothian Bible Church and those that hear 
these, this study of his story will be able to put together the whole plot line of your word. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.